rents have gone through the roof in the last decade. We know that we are rising at a faster percentage than some of the major markets in the nation. Seattle, San Francisco, Oakland, on the East Coast, you know, Indianapolis, New York City. Hmm. We know that we are rising at a faster rate for a rent than those cities are. And we think those are the most outlandish places to rent, you know, the stereotype of renting in, in the United States. So our rent has just gone through the rough. So if you would have had this interview six years ago, seven years ago, oh, we were at 100% of voucher utilization. We were only at about $500 because we could rent a quality home for $500. But the changing market conditions in Oklahoma City that have driven rent, $1,200 is an easy one bedroom rent now in Oklahoma City. We just can't pay that from the middle of America, welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show, covering local market data, news, and reports to arm you with information you need to empower your investing and strengthen your American rights. Top Realtor, investor, husband, father, and veteran. Here is your host, Landon Whit. For more information and to listen or watch online, visit OKCRealEstateShow.com. Welcome to Episode 71 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Rent in Oklahoma City is up 1.3% from last year, according to a new report from Apartment List. The data also shows three months of consecutive rent increases. It's part of a larger trend in the metro. With the cost of rent and housing continuing to rise, low-income families are struggling to find an affordable place to live. Someone working a minimum wage in Oklahoma City would have to work more than 60 hours a week just to afford the cost of an average one-bedroom apartment. People think, and rightly, that the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City has one of the most affordable housing markets in the country, said Dan Stronen, the executive director of the Homeless Alliance. However, that's really only true for people who make about forty to $60,000 per year. We have such a large percentage of families earning $30,000 or less, said Piranin Pullen, CEO of Upward Transitions. We have a severe deficit in housing for those families. A recent assessment found Oklahoma City needs 4,500 truly affordable homes, Right now, a worker making minimum wage would have to spend 60% of their income on housing to afford the average cost of a one-bedroom apartment, according to the Oklahoma Housing Finance Agency. So if you're looking at spending 60% of your income on housing, that makes it very difficult to survive a car breakdown, a medical emergency, temporarily lost hours at work, etc., he goes on to say. One result of an unstable or unaffordable housing situation is that low-income families are forced to move frequently to find adequate affordable housing. Evidence shows a strong negative relationship between frequently residential mobility and education performance. Frequent moves has been associated with poor social and emotional adjustment as well as poorer school attendance and academic performance. As this society problem increases, we're noticing a decrease in our overall education and standard of society. This is why we have made this a priority to then begin working on the affordability uh, crisis that's happening here in America. Oklahoma City taking a stand this, this year's vote on MAPS 4, which was approved by the residents of Oklahoma City includes a $50 million plan to increase affordable housing in Oklahoma City. This $50 million will be leveraged to get almost $400 million towards fighting this particular issue. Now, again, just as we'd said before, if you're in that three to 60 or at 40 to $60,000 range, you're going to find affordable housing in Oklahoma City from a rent perspective, even on the purchase side. Now, 
One of the reasons why the affordability index is the way that it is, is because of a supply in affordable new construction. With the constraints of new tariffs, labor shortages, and just the overall complexity and cost of land developments, it's become a lose-lose proposition. This is why technology increases in construction and building designs are never at more demand than they are now. The race is on to create more building more efficiently, more cost, and less labor-intensive. We're going to see a new movement into new construction. And you as a property owner in Oklahoma City, if you are a landlord and you are renting, you're going to see more and more outside-the-box ideas from these landlords to make the homes more efficient, to streamline and to make this more possible. Now, we've seen a rent increase across Oklahoma City but not necessarily a profit increase for those investors getting into this market. Now, granted, if you bought in the, you know, way back 10 years ago, you're probably looking at good increases as the market starts to increase. But for those that have recently got into the market, you'll notice that the rent increases are really just in line with the appreciation of the home. And in fact, in a lot of cases, we've seen behind. So the pull for affordable housing or affordable building is not just to accommodate this lack in the market, but it's actually to offset the rising cost of acquisition of property and still remain profitable as your business is focused on real estate. So today we've got a great interview with Mark Gillette, the executive director of the Oklahoma City Housing Authority. Him and I had a great chat in long uh, chat about what's going on here in Oklahoma City and a little bit about how Section 8 uh, works, how public housing works, what the future of that is, and also some of his candid remarks on the condition of the market. So uh, you'll want to listen to that. Uh, you can scroll around that and, and get the parts that you want to listen to. For those uh, nerds in the real estate industry, you'll want to listen to the full interview. It's got a lot of information there. I want to get into something we haven't talked about a whole lot on the show before we get into the guest. Um, first off, if you haven't heard the market updates on the podcast, that's because we've moved most of the market updates onto the website at okcrealestateshow.com. The purpose of that is to make this podcast more portable over time versus a dependent on each week new market updates. So for weekly and and the latest trends in, in construction and business development, you'll want to go to okcrealestateshow.com. But I want to talk a little bit about aviation and aerospace. The key stats about aerospace in Oklahoma City, which is by far, well, aerospace and biomedical are by far the the number one emerging trends in economic uh, benefit to the to Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City is home to over 230 aerospace firms, home to 36,600 aerospace workers in the greater Oklahoma City area. Aerospace firms produce $4.9 billion in goods and services locally, and aerospace companies hiring engineers in a variety of fields can also receive a tax credit equal to 5 to 10% of the compensation paid to the engineer. What's new in general o Oklahoma City aerospace? Well, Pratt and, Whit Pratt and Whitney, uh, which is a, a jet engine manufacturer, an aerospace in manufacturer, announced in July of 2019 a multi-million dollar investment to upgrade its military aftermarket service at Tinker Air Force Base, creating 100 new jobs in the coming years. Boeing was awarded in May of 2019 a 4 $14.3 billion contract to modify, modernize, and test weapon systems on the B-1 and B-52 bombers, with that work taking place in greater Oklahoma City. Kratos Defense and Security Solutions opened a 100,000-square-foot unmanned aircraft production facility 
in late 2018, where it will build its Firejet and Valkyrie advanced aircraft. Now, this facility is state-of-the-art aircrafts that are unmanned um, drone-type applications that are, again, being produced here, attracting engineers of highest caliber into our market. And the list goes on. So keep an eye on the aerospace development as, again, big-ticket items generating lots of income coming into the Oklahoma City market that's importing this stuff. And we're exporting machines and devices and end products to service the government as well as the general aviation. Uh, so keep an eye on that. Without further ado, let's get to the guest today. Mark and I had a conversation earlier, and I want you to listen in on In the Room. Uh, you can hear the hustle and bustle of the real estate offices, the phone ringing, and yes, that annoying bell of people walking into the real estate firm. So you'll hear all that and more <laughs> on today's interview with Mark Gallette, Oklahoma City Housing Authority. I am the executive director of the Oklahoma City Housing Authority, and the Housing Authority also has a nonprofit called the Community Enhancement Corporation, and I'm the CEO of that organization. Uh, we are the uh, entity in Oklahoma City that is responsible for providing public housing and Section 8 housing only in the city limits of Oklahoma City. Uh, we are, are confined by law to, to the city limits. And so in Oklahoma City, we have 4,300 Section 8 vouchers that are possible, and we'll talk more about how those numbers really work. And then we have right at 2,900 public housing units in Oklahoma City as well. So we say we serve 15,000 uh, citizens of Oklahoma City each and every day. Mm. Now the current population in Oklahoma City is much greater than that. Um, so you figure what percentage of the population uses your program? I have never done that. <laughs> okay. Well, I think the last population was something like, what, 600,000 for Oklahoma City? I know we're, we're, we're somewhere near that. Um, so we, first off, you guys have been since... 1970s, I think, is the program start? So, so in 1965, we started. Okay. And that was written by a federal program, or you guys state program, or both? So, yes. The answer is yes, and you can throw the city in there if, if you want to. Uh, so, so, created by federal law, uh, you know, back in, in the 30s uh, to establish... Uh, uh, worker housing in, in the United States. And then, then the states uh, grabbed that in the 60s across the nation. And then the states give each individual city the opportunity to choose how their housing authority looks. Mm -hmm. And so the Oklahoma City City Council passed an ordinance said the public housing authority would be a separate entity uh, from the city government, but the mayor of Oklahoma City appoints all of our board of commissioners who hire and fire the executive director of the organization. So we're related to each of them, but we are a distant stepchild uh, from each of them as well. Hmm. So walk me through kind of the typical process for a tenant or even a home buyer to go through a public housing program. So sure. So so you have to do them differently. Mm -hmm. uh, public housing, and and we really don't have any home ownership programs. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Our program is is almost a hundred percent rent. Mm -hmm. There is a small program that allows you to buy a, a home under the Section Eight program, mm -hmm. but we're not active in that. So public housing, uh, an individual must be low income, and that's pretty much uh, uh, below the, the income of $40,000 for, for the tr traditional family. Uh, they, uh, they apply for uh, uh, public housing, 
And you can do that online at our website, uh, www.oceanet.org, and then there's a link to apply for public housing. Uh, so you fill out that ap application. You basically choose which of the uh, 15 different locations you would like to live at, and you can select multiple ones. And, and then uh, the paperwork begins that process. And after you approve your income level, after, after you approve other things, your family size uh, and, and those kind of things and kind of exhibit a former rental history, uh, then we'll schedule a, a, a walkthrough of an apartment with you that uh, you would like to live in. And uh, then you can become a public housing renter. I said there's 15 different sites. So each of those sites has its different wait lists. Mm -hmm. So we have wait lists that are a month, two months long, mm -hmm. all the way up to several years long. So there is a tremendous wait list in public housing. Mm -hmm. So Section 8, so, so let's talk about the difference between public housing and Section 8 just for a second. Mm -hmm. Public housing is owned by the Oklahoma City Housing Authority and the federal government. So all of those 2,900 units, the Oklahoma City Housing Authority owns. So Section 8 is typically owned by a private individual or a private company. It is not owned by the government entity. And so in Section 8, uh, a housing authority or in Oklahoma City also, the Oklahoma Housing Finance Agency, is provided vouchers from the federal government through the Section 8 allocation program from HUD. So we get uh, $2 million a month to provide uh, Section 8 vouchers. Uh, and so we utilize that amount of money uh, to get as many vouchers out on the street as we can. So an individual applies for Section 8, also online, also at the same website, uh, and you apply for Section 8. The difference in that scenario is after you've proven your income, after you've proven your family status, all of those types of things, then you've got to go out and find your apartment that you want. And, and renters... Uh, typically are able to, you know, call the management company or call the homeowner that owns the house that's going to be rented and ask, do you take Section 8? And if they do, then staff from the housing authority will go to that unit to inspect it for quality standards uh, to ensure that that home is, is safe and viable for a family to live there. And if all of that works out between the the housing authority inspection, the tenant wanting to move in, the landlord wanting to accept, and there's an agreed upon negotiated rent that meets fair market rent and meets a payment standard established by the local housing authority, then the contract for renting that unit can be signed. Hmm. How long does that process typically take from start to finish? So. So right now in Oklahoma City, we do have a wait list for those persons that want to apply for Section 8. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a tremendously long wait list because we just went through and uh, uh, reevaluated all of those folks that are on the wait list to, us, to try to get as much uh, voucher activity as we could. So it's not a tremendously long wait list right now, but um, it probably takes... Uh, a good month uh, for that whole process to take place mm -hmm. uh, um, after you hit the top of the wait list. Hmm. You're talking, w at the beginning of this, you said there was about 4,300 total vouchers. Uh -huh. And those vouchers, how many of them are actively being used right now? Like, are we at 4,300 are actually being paid out to landlords in Oklahoma City? So. So there's one of the confusing things about Section 8. You've got to talk about money versus voucher. Mm. And so we get $2 million-ish a month. Mm -hmm. Divided by 4300 is a little less than $500. Mm. 
We know in Oklahoma City rents are getting large. Costs a lot of money to rent in Oklahoma City. You can't rent a lot of quality housing for $500 a month. Hmm. So, no, we can't use all 4,300 vouchers. So then you take the Section 8 scenario and you, you divide that into to money. And so let's say we have about $550 a month for the average payment standard for a voucher in Oklahoma City. Some of those standards are $10 a month. Some of those are close to $1,000 a month. But you divide that out and you get right at 5500 hmm. And so you take 5500 uh, times however many you can. Maybe that's about 3900 Maybe that's about 4000 You play that number each and every, every month. And, and so right now we're about, about at a 90 to a 91 utilization rate on uh, vouchers. And that's percent, 90 hmm. or 91 percent. Of the 4,300 yeah. allowed. Wow. Yeah. And so, what was it? Now, that's been over the last five years we've seen the largest mm -hmm. reduction, and that's just because of rising rent. Can you right. talk about that for a second? So, so that's been a major factor in Section 8 in Oklahoma City. Uh, rents have gone through the roof in the last decade. We know that we are rising at a faster percentage than some of the major markets in the nation. Seattle. San Francisco, Oakland, on the East Coast, you know, Indianapolis, New York City. Hmm. We know that we are rising at a faster rate for a rent than those cities are. And we think those are the most outlandish places to rent, you know, the stereotype of renting in, in the United States. So our rent has just gone through the rough. Hmm. So if you would have had this interview six years ago, seven years ago, oh, we were at 100% of voucher utilization, and we were only at about $500 uh, because we could uh, uh, rent uh, a quality home for $500. But the changing market conditions in Oklahoma City that have driven rent, $1,200 is, is an easy one-bedroom rent now in Oklahoma City. Uh, we just can't pay that with Section 8. Mm. And that's, and that's uh, a problem which has no apparent answer right now. I mean, we're, we're looking at uh, rent control is one option that people have brought right. up. Um, I'm not sure if that's worked really well in Seattle. I think there's some, some other side effects to doing sure. stuff like that that exists when you try to control the market. What are some things you guys are discussing to help alleviate that problem? I mean, we all want just higher wages. Can we start with that? Or? So... So, no, I mean, that's not the answer. Um, paying people more money is, is not the answer because the economy can't, uh, can't change that dramatically of rent uh, for, you know, 10,000 people. Um, so what, what do you do? So in Oklahoma City recently, the city has just said uh, that we want to address a homelessness situation by offering $50 million over the next eight years for MAPS. Uh, and that proposal passed. And the Housing Authority is one of the major partners in that uh, section of MAPS. Mm -hmm. And so, so what, how does that help? Well, that will allow us to build at least another 1,000 units of affordable housing in Oklahoma City. We do divide that out between uh, supportive housing with case management mm -hmm. and then workforce housing, which is, which is that housing at that level right above the affordability, mm -hmm. but typically right below the true market uh, uh, housing in, in the city. Uh, so somewhere between mm -hmm. that 500 and that $1,000 rental market. So you can't just say to, to investor, go build that level of housing. You mm -hmm. can't say to investor, go build uh, uh, 500 more units of supportive housing and 500 more units of workforce housing. You've got to have financial assistance to construct that. Mm -hmm. And so, so the MAPS proposal uh, had the $50 million that will build those thousand new units. And and we can leverage that with, 
with tax credits and other uh, funding sources to help us get to uh, an amount of money, uh, somewhere around $400 million leveraged over eight years, that will allow us to build uh, additional housing uh, that doesn't have that construction loan thrown on top of it. So we, as mm -hmm. the landlords, uh, can maintain that rent at that $500 to $600 level mm -hmm. so that we can add affordable housing to this market uh, and uh, have some of it specialized, uh, but then open up the other housing that that formerly housed the, the folk that need case management mm -hmm. uh, to, to provide additional housing in Oklahoma City. So that's how we can begin to address this model, is to construct housing that is, uh, is the construction is paid for. Mm. Mm. Now, building materials have been changing rapidly. Sure. I mean, we've got a lot of ideas. We have a company out of Austin we featured last week on the show that's printing a house with a 3D printer. Oh, cool. Uh, they printed a 400-square-foot house for about $10,000, wow. okay, start to finish. Uh, the, the house received uh, building permits from Austin, which is one of the toughest building permit city in the United States. Uh, so very exciting to see kind of the technology increasing. Um, so I think what I'm hearing you say is over the next 10 years, you're looking to partner with investors and, and contractors, general contractors that want to build and develop affordable housing. And you guys will work hand in hand with them to help make that building process incentivized for them to actually build cheaper and then also be able to keep the rent down at the end. I think most of our discussions with investors, at least in this show and in this market, and really in the nation, and really any nation that's got a, a capitalist market, um, is when we build a property, right, we're trying to maximize the amount of rent we can get out of it, right? Sure. That's the goal, right? Sure. How much, how high can we rent this for? Um, what you're talking about is to do the opposite, is, is to build a property and think, how cheap can we rent this for and still stay profitable? Those two things seem to be at odds with one another, and I think that's the power of where government comes in and says, well, we're going to incentivize investors. So what does that look like? I mean, let's, let's get, for, for those that may be going, this is me, I'm ready, I've been looking for a multi-unit uh, construction project in a town that needs me, what does that look like for that person? How do they get involved in that? So, so we are building new uh, stuff now, renovating stuff now, uh, using uh, developers uh, that uh, are interested in affordable housing, uh, you know, both local and, and nationwide developers. Uh, I think you have to have a passion for affordable housing. You have to do things like think outside the box and, and print a 3D home. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I don't want, want your listeners to think that we're, we're saying we're going to cut costs because we're not. I mean, you know, marble countertops, uh, uh, um, high-quality wood flooring. Uh, it's not it's not uh, you know a slum lord kind of a of a house. It's a mm -hmm. it's a house that uh, we want all people to feel like like they would be proud to live in it. Um, our goal is is not to build an apartment community that that uh, you can drive by and say oh that's affordable housing. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to build apartment communities that you drive by and you say wow that would be a great place to live. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's our our new goal. Um, the stereotype of public housing in America is, you know, Cabrini Green in, in Chicago, right. uh, tall, you know, just a set of windows and concrete bunkers uh, that, that don't don't look great. Well, mm. we don't want that model. We we want we want to uh, to transition our housing to a model that looks like a, a traditional market rate uh, a unit and, and we believe that we can can get there um, uh, 36th and, and Lottie uh, to Kelly on the south side of the street is a, is a project called Sooner Haven uh, Sooner Haven was built back in the early 70s uh, for a long time looked like a, a uh, 
traditional public housing stereotype. Uh, and so we're totally renovating that program, mm. uh, taking the property from public housing and moving it to Section 8 through a program called the Rental Assistance Demonstration Program that uh, HUD created to transition properties to a Section 8 model so that uh, um, we could borrow money uh, because a public housing authority cannot borrow money against its public housing. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to transition it to a, a private model. And I told you we have a, uh, a non-profit corporation called the Community Enhancement Corporation. We transitioned it to that mm -hmm. so that we can begin that process. Uh, of leveraging the assets you already have. Le le leveraging see. the assets. Okay. Uh, that's what it's all about. Right. Uh, and, and the, the <coughs> banks are probably happy to do that. I mean, the banks are yeah. really sure. happy to do that. I mean, you have sure. a you have a uh, organization that's been around since '65, mm -hmm. uh, and and very capable of managing and and uh, directing a a contractual program and and, mm -hmm. and a and a rental program. And so yeah, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, we've also uh, just built on on the north side of town at 122nd and Western an affordable assisted living facility called the John H. Johnson Care Suites. Mm -hmm. uh, and that Care Suites, it will be a, a truly affordable assisted living program where an, where an individual can uh, have a Section 8 voucher to pay their rent and then have Medicaid and Medicare to pay for their their uh, uh, medical needs, their assisted living needs, mm -hmm. and then use their supplemental Social Security income to pay for their meals. And so basically an individual can get full assisted living care at the John H. Johnson Care Suites mm. uh, for no out-of-pocket cost on their own. Wow. So just a tremendous way to begin to mm -hmm. think outside the box in a way to, uh, to utilize your housing authority, to utilize uh, um, tax credits, mm -hmm. and to utilizing uh, the, the debt refinancing to build affordable properties in Oklahoma City that mirror market rate properties just as nice, just mm -hmm. as great, uh, and uh, make that opportunity available to folk. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're trying to do mm -hmm. is to change our model to be a model that is a part of the community instead of a model that stands away from the community. Now, once someone's living in a home that's very similar to what you say, the community or the market, uh -huh. um, is the idea then that it's very easy for them to transition out of the program? I mean, is that the push is to get people out of the program? We don't want sure. people on, uh, you know, uh, social care for, for the long haul. I mean, that's not the point, right? So that is not the point, but that typically is what is more common. Uh, the rent is based entirely on your income. It's 30% of your adjusted income. So I always tell folk uh, a couple years ago, uh, the, the 1040 form that we all fill out, uh, the bottom of the first page is basically your adjusted income. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's close. And so you would take 30% of that, and that's the amount of money that you should expect to pay for rent. Uh, I think a lot of us uh, in Oklahoma City pay a lot more than that uh, for rent. Uh, but that's the, the model that, that we try to look for. Uh, and so 30% uh, of your adjusted rent. Well, if you get a better job or you get a raise, you know mm -hmm. that your adjusted rent goes up. So you're going to pay a larger portion of your rent. So every time you get a job, um, you're required to tell the public housing authority that, that your income has changed. Uh, at least once a year, we go back and look at everyone's income to mm -hmm. ensure that we are charging the appropriate amount of rent, that 30%. And so if, you're, if your income keeps going up, you keep getting promoted at your job, uh, maybe you find it a, a second job that you want to mm -hmm. have, uh, then your rent goes up. So that is designed to, uh, to, to statistically move you towards paying market rent. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. so maybe you started paying $100 a month. Uh, uh, 
The next year you're paying 200, 300, then 400, then 500. And finally you're at that, that level where uh, you're paying uh, for 100% of your voucher costs. I told you it's about 550 bucks. Uh, and so when you hit that level, then, then yeah, you're paying more than your voucher is really worth to you to, to, uh, to rent from that particular landlord. So that's the way you transition out. It works in public housing the same way. Um, that's, a, that's a big income jump still in Oklahoma City. Sure. Uh, and so, uh, so it takes a while for that process to, to move along. Some of us lose our jobs. Some of us uh, maybe uh, um, have a change in family situation that we need to be at home again. And so it's a much more difficult process than, than the uh, uh, stereotype of, you know, well, you'll get a better job and you'll move, move out in a couple of years. It just mm -hmm. doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that is certainly the goal, mm -hmm. to help individuals learn how to pay more for their rent, uh, to help them become more self-sufficient so they're not relying on government assistance. Well, and I think the only, there, there's probably a couple of ways, but the only way I can really think about a program like that really working in a free market is, you know, the incentive is not like, oh, great, I get to pay more and the government's going to pay less, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. But if we think of it in terms of I get to allow more people to use this program instead of me sure. using this program, uh, I think that's really the ticket there, is, is, is really uh, instilling a, uh, a desire in the program to help other people, sure. right? If I can get off my voucher, that means this single family or the single mother here that's struggling on the street in a terrible housing can get an opportunity to then get a voucher that, that wouldn't before. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the goal. Mm -hmm. uh, but in Oklahoma City, there are so many folk that need affordable housing, that uh, that will always use, or for the foreseeable future, mm -hmm. will always use 100% of that voucher cost. Uh, we've got Ben Carson now uh -huh. in HUD. Has he increased or decreased, or has it stayed the same with, with the new leadership? So it takes a long time for, for a major uh, cabinet position uh, to to make huge changes in in the basic functions mm. of affordable housing or any program. Mm. It's been 30% of your adjusted rent for years. It's been public housing in Section 8 for years. The Trump administration has uh, every year uh, recommended to uh, zero out the capital fund, uh, meaning that there would be no more funds for, for capital uh, improvements to any housing, uh, and they've, they've dramatically cut uh, the, uh, the public housing funding as well. Mm -hmm. Congress has not agreed with the president's budget, mm -hmm. so each year they have come back and funded a capital fund program and also uh, uh, funded public housing at an appropriate level. Um, every public housing authority would like to get more money, uh, so I, I won't say they fully fund it, uh, but, but they fund it at a more appropriate level that uh, is not in line at all with, with the president's budget. Mm. Uh, but Section 8 is, is something that does have a lot of, of funding support, uh, and so I, that's why we're beginning the process of transitioning away from public housing, mm -hmm. moving towards that Section 8 model, mm -hmm. which is more stable in his history. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons we're doing it. We're also doing it so that we can uh, borrow against our, our portfolio using that leverage of debt to help improve our properties. And that's an encouraging move from HUD nationwide for housing authorities to transition that way. Someone, so you think that in the next 10 years we'll see an increase in Section 8 vouchers and, and a decrease in actual physical public housing? So what we talked about, it takes a special individual, it takes a special company that wants to invest in affordable housing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not your traditional uh, market rate uh, apartment or home builder. 
um, there's not a lot of incentive uh, for the individual to do that. It takes incentives from the government uh, or private sources to build that affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Oklahoma City right now, um, there's just not a lot of folk uh, wanting to build that affordable housing because that rent variable is so large. Right. Um, and so it takes an organization like the Housing Authority's Development Organization mm-hmm. to, to build that or takes partnerships with, with nationwide affordable housing builders that want to come to Oklahoma City and build an affordable housing Mm. model. Um, You're you're talking about, when we say affordable housing, sounds to me like we're saying $500 for a one-bedroom unit. Yeah. Okay. And what about a two-bedroom unit? So, so I mean, you know, if you're at, if you're at, uh, you know, $800 for for maybe a, a, a market rate unit, you know, and then you're at five hundred dollars. So it's that same same kind of a scenario, you know, you're mm-hmm. you're less, you're not at half, uh, but but maybe you're at sixty ish, seventy ish percent uh, of the of the value for, you know, the affordable unit versus the market rate unit. Mm-hmm. So so it goes up proportionally like that. Um, it's. Uh, I mean, it's. You mentioned that the original vouchers at the beginning were based off of a formula that uh-huh. HUD had put together, right. um, and and I can only imagine that that's based off of the median income for the region. It is right. So our median income is what fifty two thousand, I think, for a family in right. Oklahoma City. So typically, when we advise investors to purchase, we say don't really get above three times the median income for your purchase, you know, your acquisition price, which puts us at a cap at about one hundred and fifty thousand. Right. Now, any builders that are listening to this are going. There's no way I can build a home for 150,000. Uh, so that's really where we've run into an issue, and that just leaves us with builders can't build affordable housing anymore. Right. And so now that puts pressure on existing dwellings, right? And then existing dwellings aren't being built anymore, and there's higher demand. So supply and demand makes those go up. So now we're in an issue. So what we're asking, I think, is for someone to come up with a way to build a house that's 150,000 or less. And usually we get away with that with multifamily housing, right? We've got one sure. roof, right? Sure, sure. One plumbing system, sure. one electrician that goes there, and sure. and it's all on one property, but it's got multiple families living in there. Right. So that's that's where it makes sense. And then we can go up in height and all this stuff. Um, but there's a lot of issues with density then. You know, we've got a bunch of people living in one area. Right. So it sounds like what you're saying is, is, as of right now, if no technology changes, if we have no changes in, in current infrastructure, um, we're going to be reaching out in the next five to ten years for a group to come in and build public housing in Oklahoma City to help increase from 3,100 units to potentially 5,000 5, units. Wow. Okay. That's a, that's, that's a huge increase for you guys. I mean, and that, you're going to do that through leveraging the existing sure. uh, infrastructure you have. Right. And so, so let's not use the word public housing. Let's use okay. the word affordable housing. Okay. Uh, um, Meaning that public housing would be government built. Uh-huh. Affordable housing would be community right. built. Okay. We'll, we'll have no more public housing built in Oklahoma City. I uh, say that <laughs> probably pretty <laughs> sure, 90% sure, okay. it, none of it will be public housing uh, in the end. In a decade. All 3,100 now are, are classified as public housing. Mm-hmm. We're going to leverage the public housing yep. into community housing or affordable housing yes. built by organizations. Right. Gotcha. And so, so some of those structures will stay the same and they'll mm-hmm. just change and some of those structures uh, will uh, be built new. Uh, um, and so... So how do you do that? I mean, how, how do you how do you incentivize? And and so the voters in Oklahoma City have given given our community, our city, an amazing opportunity to increase the number of affordable units in our community, in our city, and 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 said yes to a vote that said fifty million dollars uh, to address homelessness. Homelessness means giving a house. Um, it, you know, it's hard to to. To address homelessness, if you don't give a house, mm-hmm. and so and so that's uh, 
the capital way to, to increase the number of units uh, through leveraging that $50 million uh, um, through real estate, uh, through, through tax credits, through bonds, uh, other methods mm -hmm. in order to, to fully uh, change what affordable housing looks like in, in Oklahoma City. Uh, and then all of those together, the affordable housing, the market rate housing, that will provide this city, this community, with a, a new level of housing that I think we can all be proud of. Mm -hmm. Well, it's definitely, uh, <laughs> we've got quite the, the problem that we're trying sure. to solve here. Um, and it's a multifaceted problem. I think it's, it's an economic problem as much as it is a social problem, right? right? I think uh, when we hear of this uni universal basis, base income, you know, uh, Andrew Yang and some of the other political candidates pushing for Elon Musk, right. uh, the CEO of Tesla pushing for a universal basic income, Facebook pushing for a universal basic income, right. something to the tune of $1,000 a month to every citizen in the United States. Those are questions, and then and they come in and they say the point of it is, is oh well, if you had a thousand dollars a month, right, you could try new things. Because right sure. now, I don't have time to try another thing. Because I've got to work, right. I got to provide for a family. But right. if I had this income, I could then try new ideas, and we could come out with new technology. Well, the question is, is wasn't that the role of the American family in the past, right? You're if you genuinely had an idea, for example, if my, you know, I have a five-year-old, but when he gets to an age and he says, Dad, you know, I'd really like to try this new idea. I really think it's going to work. It could really change this, but I, you know, it's not going to pay much. I may need some help. Of course, son. Come, sure. come live with Mom and Dad for a little bit. Sure. We'd love to have you here. You know, those are the kind of things that I think the America of the past was built on, right? We were, we were more of a, a family-oriented society. And now that we've moved into the millennial generation of being, you know, every man for himself, and we all have our own big screen TVs, we have our own, you know, little pods, and we all live separately, I think that's what's really brought in this new question of how do we afford everyone being on their own, no one leaning on each other, no community-based, um, even when I was growing up, just even in the 80s and 90s, the church played a huge sure. role in homeless outreach. I sure. mean, it was it was not uncommon to have almost every church you went right. into having a homeless breakfast or a right. homeless meal or right. blankets given, right. you know, or drives. And now you don't see that that often. Right. So um, I think that uh, there, there's many answers to this, uh, but I, I would say technology has got to increase. Oh, sure. The, we're still building the same way we were building 100 years ago. Very little changes. Uh, yeah, sure, we've got some insulation and some things changed, but wood and nails, come on, we're still there. Yeah. You know, so uh, I'm curious to see these companies like Icon 3D, uh, Larry Haynes, Sun Economy. Uh, he's got a, a machine that's patented now. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what that plays into the affordable index. Um, also, the zoning, okay, city planning, coming up with these new ideas. Right. And I think that's where you're going to see some incentivization is when the, the legislators come in and they say, you know what, this zoning law is not going to apply to everyone. You've got to demonstrate that this is for the good of the people right. and having some politicians with some backbones, yeah. right? Because the temptation is, is oh, well, we can change zoning and density, and we've got, you know, you know, investors that are that are venture capitalists coming back yeah. behind them going, you know, let's let's fund these, you know, high-density structures, and then they're supposed to be affordable housing. We've seen that play out sure. in Seattle and all these different cities. And then they're not affordable housing. They just add to the problem. So, um, well, thanks and, for. And, and I think I think the city has done an amazing job mm -hmm. at trying to begin to understand uh, affordable housing, what we want to uh, to do in Oklahoma City. Right now, they're going through a major study uh, to talk about affordable housing and what does that really look like. Mm -hmm. uh, having consultants come in and help uh, strategize through that. Um, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity and a, a tremendous change in, mm. in our community to, to begin to look at, at the social issues of housing and care for those folks that need supportive housing mm. and working together to begin to address those. I'm, I'm really encouraged by that. Um, uh, sure, that might mean more density issues are important, sure. uh, but, but really the, the, the issue is... is providing affordable housing to our citizens 
and providing them the care they need to live mm -hmm. in that affordable housing and maybe even become self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. um, I think mm -hmm. that's the role of the housing authority mm -hmm. and, and I hope a role that now with MAPS uh, we can totally transition uh, our strategic model and, and be a viable entity for the next five decades like we've been already. Mm. That's great stuff. Well, we're almost out of time here, but I want to end with a very important question. We've talked about this, you know, enormous raise in, in rents and, and at rates faster than Seattle. I mean, right. some of these markets that are on the news is saying, sure. know, look at this, you know, and we're actually surpassing those. You know, I mean, economists, you know, you use math, right? It's only, you can't just exponentially grow, right? Sure. So at some point, it will find its median, right? And it will not be able to grow beyond. What do you think is causing it to grow so fast? And, and when do you, I mean, do you think it's kind of teetering here? I mean, have we seen some kind of uh, tapering off going on? So, so why is it uh, growing so high? I think mm -hmm. Oklahoma City is a great place to live. And I, I think nationwide they've finally uh, begun to reach that market that, that it's, a, it's a nice place to live, great climate, uh, good schools, good jobs, good churches, good fellowship. Um, and, and I think that's what people want. Um, that's the kind of lifestyle we want. And that means we need more housing. And so we had to build housing pretty quick. Uh, and so uh, the rents went up. Mm -hmm. And and will the rents stop? Well, I, I hope so. <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with that, as long long as our city uh, understands that all levels of income de deserve a place to live. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like with maps and and the city council and the mayor's office, the city manager's office, the planning department, I feel like all of us are now working together to ensure that we develop those models where, where all folk can live in an appropriate, nice, affordable home to themselves. Mark, this has been a great talk. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. For more information and to listen or watch online, visit okcrealestateshow.com.